Good morning. Um, if you have a Bible from one of the seats by you, we're going to be in Acts chapter 18, that um, third passage we had read for us this morning. Acts 18, beginning with verse 5. If you wouldn't mind just keeping your thumb in there for a second or going ahead and opening that up, we'll be looking at it in just a moment. But before we do that, let's pray. And so, Father, we ask that you would please come, that your spirit would be our guide and your word our teacher. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Isn't it good to have some sunlight? <laughs> Praise be to God. Um, if you're new with us, you should know that uh, we just finished up a series last week in the book of Ruth. And next week, we're going to be um, digging into Lent in our first Sunday of Lent. Today, what we're going to do is just take a, a quick opportunity on this, on this one-off Sunday, this last Sunday of Epiphany. And as we think about the, the idea of, of ultimately the, the gospel going to the nations, we're going to think just a little bit more about evangelism. Now, I've been thinking about evangelism this week for at least two reasons. First reason is that on Thursday, uh, we had our monthly men's gathering known as Men's Fireside over at the Turner's home. And we did what we do every month, which is we have a bunch of men in a room. And through a kind of interview format, there's one man that shares a lot about his life, um, both um, ordinary biographical information, but also a, a bit about how he became a Christian and what his experience has been like following Jesus, and we were very honored to have Buck Cater sharing on Thursday night. And for those of you who are with us, you might remember that one of the most powerful parts of Buck's story was his sharing about um, this young woman that he met as he had moved to Baton Rouge for some studying that ultimately led him to put his faith in Jesus. So that's one reason I was thinking about the idea of sharing our faith. I was also thinking about it this week because I was meeting with one of you this week and this person was sharing with me his own reflections and, and thinking about why it is for so many of us, including myself, at times hard to think about sharing our faith with other people. Isn't that true? It, it's not an easy thing and there are all kinds of reasons why. For, for some of us, we're worried that we're not going to have all the perfect answers for all the questions that somebody could ask us. Have you ever experienced that? Or maybe you're worrying, am, am I going to offend somebody as I share about my faith in Jesus? Or, or this, is this person going to maybe see me as some sort of a narrow-minded person as I talk about the, the need to believe in Jesus? All of these reasons are ultimately, aren't they, based in fear. That's one reason we don't talk to people about Jesus very often. Uh, another reason is because, and I think if we're honest, um, isn't evangelism one of those things that we kind of wonder as Christians if we have to do it? Have you ever wondered that? I, I know in my experience growing up, as I thought about the Christians that I grew up around, I would not say I grew up in an environment where every Christian I knew was sharing their faith with others. And on one end, there were some people that seemed to be really good at it. And on the other end, there were some people that maybe struggled the environment in which I grew up was anybody that shared their faith with other people, those people were like the super Christians. They were the really respected Christians in our church and in our circles of friends. But I'd say those people were the exception and they were not the norm. 
And as I, as I look back on my own experience and my own resistance at times, maybe your fear of sharing my faith, a lot of it was grounded in the question of, is this something that I really have to do as a Christian? Or is this maybe kind of the cherry on top of the Christian life that really makes me a good Christian? What about you? Have you understand the, or understood the, the Bible's call to us to share faith with other people? I don't think it's going to surprise any of you to, to hear um, from the pastor that, yes, when we read the Bible, it does describe this thing that is evangelism as something that's not optional in the Christian life. And, and the question I want to take up today is, how do we know that to be the case? How do we know that it's not optional? Uh, specifically, how does this, chapter, uh, this passage from Acts chapter 18 show us that? See, we're going to get into this passage, and we're going to be given this window into the way that God is at work in the world, and this really interesting choice that God makes, in, in that he invites us as his people to participate in what he's doing, and ultimately to carry out his mission. Another way that we could ask this is to say that if, if Jesus has a mission— if he did in the Bible and if he does today, of reaching people, of engaging people, what does Acts 18 teach us about this mission? What does it teach us about the means of this mission? What does it teach us about the scope of it? Those are the two things we're going to take up for the next couple of minutes. What does it teach us about the means, how he's going to achieve it? What does this teach us just about the, the scope, the breadth, and how this ties to the purposes that we've read about Jesus in the Gospels. And then finally, we're going to ask at the end, if those things are true, then what does this have to teach us about those of us here today who are Christians and are, um, particularly those of us who are a part of this church family at St. Peter's. So first, if Jesus is on this mission to reach people, how does this passage teach us about the means? How is he actually going to carry out this mission according to this passage? And we're going to answer that now by looking at this passage. And, and as, as we do, one of the really interesting things that you're going to see as we read, there are these, these times, it seems, in which in the Bible, God is wanting to reach a certain group of people in a specific place. We can imagine these people don't know him yet. And even though he could do this by any means what he seems to do is invite ordinary and everyday, everyday people like you and me into this process. And so now, if you, if you will open up Acts 18, if you'll have it in front of you or maybe on your device, remember, real quick context for, well, big picture, Acts, Paul's become a Christian. He's on this missionary journey. Uh, he's going around the ancient world talking to people about Jesus. And then we get to Acts 18 and it says, Paul and Silas, two fellow Christians, join him in this ancient city, Corinth, which was a, a city in uh, mid-southern Greece. And, and again, they're talking to people about Jesus. They get rejected by the Jews and they start talking to other people. Um, they have more success. And then it gets to this part in verse 9 in which Jesus comes to Paul in a dream. Would you look with me at verse 9 if you have it in front of you? What's Jesus say? In essence, Paul, don't be afraid. 
but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you or harm you. So just, just pause right there real quick. Remember what Jesus is saying. Paul, if you've got any temptation to be afraid, don't worry about it and don't stop talking to people about me, but go on. And the reason that you have, have confidence to go on is because no one's going to hurt you because I'm with you. And then let's read on. Notice the, the reason that Jesus, again, is going to protect him. He says, For I have many people in this city who are my people. And so verse 11 continues. And he, Paul, stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So I want to take just a moment and I want to reflect on two really important things in these verses. Okay, number one, notice the fact that Jesus uses this interesting phrase, my people. Did you read that and wonder, how can Jesus talk about people as my people when it seems obvious that Jesus is not talking about Christians at this moment? Okay, he's talking about people in this city that he wants Paul to reach that are his, but we would know aren't Christians yet. How can he say that? This, this is the same reason we can imagine that Jesus could have looked at someone like Buck long before Buck ever came to know him and call him mine. Okay, someone that was moving to Baton Rouge in order to think that he was going to be, he was really there ultimately for the purpose of an education only to find out that God had, had in his good and perfect sovereignty guided him there in order that a, a young woman would share the gospel with him over time. And that ultimately because of putting his faith in Jesus, I think it'd be fair to say, Buck would say, that the, the course of his life, the, the trajectory of the, the remaining course of his life totally changed, okay, because Buck was his. As we think about Jesus using this language of my people, this shouldn't surprise us. Many of you have been here, for example, when we looked at places like Ephesians 1 and we're, we're reminded of these words from the Apostle Paul. I'll read it aloud. Some of you know it off the top of your head. Blessed be God, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless in him. So if this is true, if, if what Paul writes in Ephesians 1 is true, then God had set Buck aside before the foundations of the world. God had set uh, Saul of Tarsus aside before the foundations of the world. And he would ultimately become the apostle Paul. He had set apart these people in Corinth that he is telling Paul are his. And ultimately, if you are here this morning and if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, he also had set you aside before the foundations of the earth. That's how he can call those of us and, and these people my people. So that's the first important thing to notice in these verses. Secondly, notice the way that Jesus says he's going to reach these people. It's really interesting. Jesus doesn't say, Paul, um, put up your feet and watch this because I'm about to do something crazy and then come to people maybe in a vision even though he has done that in certain people's lives. He's still doing that today. He, he doesn't tell Paul, hey, just watch. 
because um, I'm going to come to these people in, in an audible voice. There's no one else is going to be involved, but I'm going I'm to come to these people and I'm going to tell them to believe in me. He doesn't do that. On this occasion, with these people, he is telling Paul that he wants to use the ordinary means that most, of, most all of us are, use in order to learn about something or someone else, which is by someone speaking to us about that person. And then Paul ends up staying in Corinth for a year and a half, it says, teaching the word of God among them. Here's what I want to do for just a moment now is then pause and ask ourselves as we look at this story and as, as we're thinking of Paul and Timothy and Silas in Acts 18, how do we know that this story equally applies to Christians today? Okay, so that's, that's an important question whenever we're reading the Bible is can we just take all passages of the Bible and say they're equally applicable? We need to be very careful about that, not necessarily but I do want to make the case that what we're seeing in this passage in Acts 18 is equally true for us today in 2020. And, and here's how. I want you to think, you're going to have to think hard for me with a minute, just, but just follow the logic here. If this was true for Paul, that as a Christian or as a disciple, that God was wanting to use him, okay, in order to reach his people in the city where he was, if it was true for him, if the other things that we read about our call to engage with other people in the New Testament are true, can we find any sufficient reason to believe that this should not also be the case for us here in Birmingham? I don't think we can find any reason. Okay, that any reason that we should not believe that God's also wanting to use us to engage with his people. Let me say that another way. If God still has the desire that he had in the Bible to rescue people from their sin, okay, to, to adopt us into his family that we might live in a new heaven to new earth with him forever. If he still has that desire and if we know that there are people around us, people that we pass walking past or drive past all day here in, in this immediate community or in greater Birmingham, if he wants to reach them and those people around us, is there any reason why we should not conclude that God doesn't want us to be the ones who are reaching these people? And, that he, and is there any reason to not believe that he doesn't want to use us, for example, from St. Peter's to reach these people, to reach your friends at work? Okay, if you're, if you're a child or you're a teenager, if you're at school, okay, to reach the other Teenagers, the other children around you, the, the other ones that are on your team, okay, or maybe in a, a club that you're in, maybe your neighbor, okay, the person that lives next door to you. Again, it's so interesting. God could appear to these people however he wants to, okay? He could do it with just the snap of a finger. And instead, he's not just inviting people like you and me, but he's, he's even commanding people like you and me to have a role in this. That's the first observation this morning. It's, it's the means of Jesus' mission. Jesus is on a mission to reach people and, and he is asking people like you and myself to be the ones that are actually carrying it out. So that's the means. Let's think just for a moment now about the scope 
of this mission, okay? As we think about the epiphany, as we think about this, this message about Jesus going to the whole earth in the season that we've been in, in epiphany. When we read this passage in Acts 18, and when we think again about other parts that we read of the, of the New Testament, we're reminded just how broad Jesus' mission is. So we come to places like John chapter 10, okay, starting with verse 24, or I'm, I'm sorry, 14, where Jesus says this. Many of you know these words. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And then listen to this. And I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Think about what Jesus just said. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Now, if, if you're a good reader of John's gospel, you know on one hand, Jesus is at first speaking specifically about Israel. Okay, so traditionally, it was understood that God had set apart a people for himself. The people of God were the Israelites. And now Jesus is looking at them and saying, friends, my mission is much, much bigger than this. There are others outside of you and I've got to get them and I've got to bring them in. I'm going to the nations. That's why we said what we said at the beginning of this service. Jesus being a light to the nations. That the scope of his mission is huge. And, and then what he's calling the apostle Paul into in Acts 18, for example, and you and I into, this is all just a part of it. Now, here's one other thing I want to ask us to think about for a second. Imagine you're one of the disciples in the Gospels and you've been spending time with Jesus and you've heard Jesus talk about the fact that he has this mission and what he's going to do. There's a problem with Jesus's mission if you're one of the disciples, at least when he's crucified. And remember, Jesus has come. He said he's going to be on this mission. And then what happens? Jesus dies. I mean, Jesus has been going around in this public ministry. He's been teaching. You know, he's, he's been encouraging other people to come alongside him. And then he goes. I mean, imagine if you're in, in a, a small town or village and there's a, um, a terrible virus, even like this one that's going around now. And, and um, a doctor comes to town and says, I'm here to rescue you. I'm going to save you. I've got lots of people to rescue. And then imagine if that doctor died. You would be sitting there wondering, how's this going to play out? Was this person maybe being a little overly optimistic? You know, were they be realistic? What's the answer? The intriguing thing when we read the New Testament is that the shepherd says he's going to reach the sheep through the other sheep. He says he's going to use the flock. So the answer is us. Remember what he says in, in the Great Commission in, in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go, we could say y'all. Go y'all, it's plural. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Or Acts 1 verse 8, again, Jesus, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So here's the question we need to ask. <clears throat> is God 
foolish or just dumb for putting this mission of drawing people unto himself that they might be redeemed, adopted, live forever with him. Is God foolish for putting that mission into the hands of imperfect and flawed people? You ever wonder that? Like, was God a poor strategic planner? Had, had he given a lot of consideration to who he was actually working with? How do we know that this wasn't a poor choice by God? And the, the reason that we know that is because he says that he has given us two things that assure that this mission is not going to fail. Okay, he, he says he's giving us his presence and his power. So first presence, again, let's go back to Matthew 28, 20. Remember, what's he say? He promises to be with us to the end. Go and make disciples. And what? Behold, I am with you always. I'm with you. And to the ends of the age. Okay, and then in Acts 1.8, again, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So the reason that Paul, when he's in Corinth, doesn't have to worry about whether or not on this occasion he's going to get beat up okay, for talking to people about Jesus is because Jesus says that he is with him and the power of the Holy Spirit, we should be able to infer, is on him. And how is it that we can also have confidence when we go to talk to other people, talk to other people that we've either just met or that are close with us about Jesus? How do we know that it's not going to come down to us having to have memorized a perfect apologetics Q&A book or um, to be really winsome and, and smooth with people. How do we know it's not dependent on those things? We know it because we have the presence of God and we have the power of God. So that's how we know that God's not a fool to put this in the hands of people like you and me. Because ultimately, again, it's not coming down to you and me. It's in his hands. He's going to be the one that does it. And so finally... Having seen those things, how he's going to do it, and, and just the, the breadth of what we're being invited into. I just want to take a couple seconds as we finish up and, and think about three simple conclusions for us, both individually. If you're here this morning and if you're a Christian, three ways that this applies to us individually, three ways that this might shape things for our life together here as a church family. And these, these build on one another. Conclusion number one. Friends, this community, I'm not just talking about Mountain Brook, I mean, Greater Birmingham, state of Alabama, the world, is filled with people that desperately need to know Jesus. We are surrounded by people that desperately need to know Jesus. When I moved here, you know, I moved here from a, a, another very, you could say, churched city, okay? Um, a place that's called the Woodlands, Texas. That's outside of Houston. Some of you know it. There are people... <clears throat> all over that city that, um, that are in a church in every Sunday. And, and I mention that because on one hand, we can guess that a, a lot of the people that we have relationships with and that we're around um, that we know don't go to church, we might make the assumption that clearly these people need to know about Jesus because we would, we would guess that they don't know him. But friends, you need to know, just because someone's going to church every week, that, that doesn't mean that they necessarily have a relationship with God. I think I've shared with you, I once heard an evangelist I met in England um, I was living there, say, standing in church doesn't make you any more of a Christian than standing inside of a garage makes you a car. We are surrounded 
by people that desperately need to know Jesus. And again, we know that, that just being a religious person isn't enough. Do you remember there's a place in John chapter 8 where Jesus is looking at the Pharisees and he's, he's looking at the elite of the elite in terms of religious people. And what does he say to them? He says, don't you understand, unless you believe that I am he, you too will die in your sins. Look straight in the eye of religious people and says, unless you believe I am he, you too will perish. And so there are so many people around us, so many friends, so many dear people in our lives that God um, has placed around us that he, he desperately wants to use us to reach. And, and that leads us to conclusion number two. I'm confident of this, that <clears throat> it is God's desire to reach these people around us, these other parents on our kids' team, if, if you have a family or in our workplace, or again, maybe at school, if you're a children, child or teenager. It is, it is God's desire to reach these people. And specifically, it's, it's God's desire that he would reach these people through us. Okay, God's, God's not laying it on your heart that the other person sitting next to you is going to be the person that reaches them. He's, he's calling us. He's calling us individually. Again, he's calling us corporately. That's why one of the great things about our church's mission statement, as you know, is that Jesus Christ would be made known. And I think it's fair to say that if, if Jesus were to speak to us the same way that he speaks to Paul, he would be say, don't be afraid, St. Peter's. Don't be fearful. Go on speaking because I have many people in this city who are my people. And then finally, if there are people around us who in order to live forever and to, and to have the peace of God that passes all understanding, even in the midst of whatever can be going on in our lives at this moment, if there are people around us that desperately need, hear, need to hear the gospel and God has chosen in his good design that we would be the ones that reach them. We need to assess from time to time, how are we doing reaching those people? And I, I don't mean that just corporately as a church family, though that's part of it, but I'm also thinking about that individually for us. How are we doing engaging the people around us? And I share that because, and I think I've shared this before, because for some of us, when you think about the combination of, of uh, responsibilities we have on our plates, maybe with family, maybe with your work, when you think about that, when you, when you think about um, even uh, the way that we can be preoccupied with technology, in other words, always being connected to other people that we already know, when you think about the natural fear in our hearts of talking to other people about Jesus, or frankly, friends, wanting to be liked by other people. There is a natural inertia in our lives that pulls us away from talking to other people about Jesus. And one of the hardest things for me is I know that if I'm not careful, I'd imagine this is the case for you too. If I'm not careful, particularly with my schedule, I can end up in a place where I have no meaningful relationships with people that would not call themselves a Christian. Is that where you are? Could you say that you, you know someone that you know 
is not a Christian. Because again, friends, we're all, we're all swimming against this together, this current that will pull us away. I do believe the scriptures are true. I, I do believe that when it, it says there is an evil one, there is a devil. And I think if, if there are a way that he were to delude us, it would say, St. Peter's, don't speak. Don't go on talking to other people. Is that the voice that we're being more obedient to? Or are we being obedient and faithful to this voice of Jesus? Because if, if we have his presence with us and his power, again, that means there is never a moment when we're talking to somebody else about Jesus that he is not with us. And that doesn't predict what's going to happen, what's going to be the result of it, but it does mean that this mission that he has put us on together cannot fail. And so what I want to do is I want to close with this. Again, we're about to start Lent. I want to be silent just for about 30 seconds. And I want you to pray. And, and if, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, I just want you to ask, ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, will you identify one person in my life that I know does not know you right now and that would you commit to praying for that person through Lent and up through Easter on a daily basis? It doesn't have to be a 20-minute prayer. You, you can say it very briefly. But let's, let's pause. Let's pray for that. And then, and then I'll end us together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are willing to entrust either, even ordinary people like us to get to have the, the joy and the privilege of being involved with other people coming to know you. And right now, Lord, as we take a brief moment, would you identify maybe one person for each of us that even if we don't have the confidence right now to speak to, that we can at least be praying for. Lord, thank you for the ways that you have used others to be the Pauls in our own lives. Others that weren't silent, that spoke to us and shared with us the gospel. Would you please use us in the lives of the people you were just identifying for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.